From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a managing director here at HPS. Teaming up today with two of my colleagues, Michael Steele, uh, one of our partners here, former press secretary for Speaker Boehner and vice presidential candidate Paul Ryan, and my fellow managing director, Megan Pennington, um, former communications director on the Senate side for Tom Carper and the Environment and Public Works Committee. Michael, Megan, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. Hey, Ryan. So fun to be here. What's up, guys? Um, Let me just start. I'm, I'm a little bummed, but this is the first time I think in probably 18 months that our HPS podcast studio is actually being used and yeah. you guys are live in the room. Yeah, I'm a little jealous, but it's we'll be great. there too. There's, there's a lot of fanciness here. It's real college radio station vibes. Yeah. It Love feels it. very official. Um, well, we're back in the office and Congress is back uh, in the next couple of days with quite a big to-do list. Um, and I think we'll hear differing opinions on whether that to-do list will get done. But I wanted to bring you guys in today and talk about the infrastructure package. Uh, Right before the 4th of July break, Biden reached an agreement with a bipartisan group of senators. It looks like we're going to have a bill that can move forward. Uh, I would say that bill has already lived and died a couple of times, (laughs) 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 even while we've been uh, on recess here. But I'm I'm curious kind of where you guys think things stand and what we're going to see when everyone comes back into town next week. Megan, maybe we'll we'll start with you. That What are the chances that this does pass and, and what does it look like? I think it would be wild to imagine a world in which both the bipartisan infrastructure package and the Democrats only reconciliation bill passes and is sent to the president's desk. Now, it seems like that's what the administration is saying that they are prepared to do. Um, and hey, anything is possible. They, we used to say like in the, in the Senate, we used to laugh that and say that if with agreement, anything is possible. So sure, it, it, it that could happen. I think it's unlikely, but it sh- it it will be interesting to see. I mean, it feels like the administration wants to get a move on here and at least start shaking out the pain points early, so they can you know can we get the the bipartisan package across the line? I I'm a, an opt a cautious optimist on that. Um, I I think on the reconciliation piece. Faster probably yields a bigger number for Democrats. You know, there's going to be some negotiating in the party about how big that domestic spending piece can get. And I, I think the longer that waits, like the, the more you let that slip, the number gets smaller and smaller. So I don't know. We'll, ha- we'll, we'll have to see. So upshot, I think it's a big task. But anything is possible. Yeah, I think it's worth taking a second to unpack the strategy a little bit and talk about what some of these definitions. The, the administration wants two packages to pass under two different sets of sets of rules and conditions. The first is a relatively narrow bipartisan infrastructure bill focused on what Republicans would refer to as real infrastructure: roads, highways, bridges, railroads. Um, you know, having I, I drove up and down I ninety five from here in D C to New Hampshire uh, twice, uh, up and back over the past week, and 
good God, we need to put some money into that stuff. I mean, the the the, the keystone of our I'm East Coast highways shouldn't be a hundred year old bridge in New York City that everyone has to go across. Uh, it's really you know we need we need investment in in real physical infrastructure. Now, this is where we get to what I kind of what I think of as the pig and the poke strategy. In order to pass that bipartisan infrastructure bill. You're going to have to get votes from people who think that's enough, who want to pass a relatively targeted bipartisan infrastructure bill and stop. You also have to get votes from people who won't vote for the steam engine without the caboose, and that's this Democrats-only, much larger, much less targeted spending bill that is everything from early childhood education to green energy initiatives to it's basically the wish list of the Democratic platform uh, in legislative form. And so I, I have a lot of trouble seeing how you square that circle. I have a lot of trouble seeing how you can promise progressives that if the bipartisan hard infrastructure bill passes, you will then pivot to this much larger liberal wish list and also tell the moderates and the, the handful of Republicans that you're going to need to pass that bipartisan infrastructure package, oh, no, don't worry about that much larger spending bill coming right down behind it. Um, that's a real that's it's a tough balancing act and it's tough to see how they pull it off. Let's talk about how they pull that off, right? Yeah. So my my theory and I'd love your reactions is there are a good number of Republicans especially in the Senate that want to do something. They agree with the issue and frankly, I watched as this recess, Mitch McConnell and others were in Kentucky sort of admitting that the last big round of federal funding to come to the state came from Biden and came from the CARES package. And I think he would want to put one with his name on it, as some of his vulnerable members probably would, too. I think Democrats and progressives talk a tough game, but are they really going to buck their party's president in his first year heading into midterms? I think we see a lot of arguing and fighting, but both of those groups get on board. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two things. I think one, you're right in the sense that if we can have a, if we can get a package that doesn't include tax hikes, that's the red line for Republicans, and does include funding for this really impactful hard infrastructure, I think Senator McConnell would be thrilled to stand in front of the Brent Spence Bridge and cut a ribbon for its revitalization. Yeah. At the right. same time, I think your progressive problem is not so much in the Senate as it is in the House because yeah. Republicans in the House are going to be 100% united probably against most everything. You are looking at a very small pool of available House Republicans here. And the Democrats' majority is simply very, very narrow. With a four-seat majority and unified Republican or almost unified Republican opposition, they just can't afford to lose hardly anyone. And I think that's – Three votes, I believe. Yeah, right? that's, that's – that's, no – Never count, never discount Nancy Pelosi's ability. Yeah. Never discount her whipping operations ability. But you know the times are changing. Uh, the the squad and their ilk are growing in influence and power. And I have I have a lot of trouble seeing them swallow uh, this this tailored bipartisan package without the guarantee of, of of the trailer, the water skier behind it, which would necessarily I think blow up the first the first package. I think that don't under as you say don't underestimate Nancy Pelosi. I think that the progressives will rattle the cages a little bit and I think that they will say like I don't know if we're going to go along. I I kind of I feel bullish on the end of the day them moving forward because I think it, it's just look. 
the only way you get to the promised land, which is that big reconciliation bill, is if you go along on the infrastructure piece. Now, on on Republican, well, do, do they agree with that? I guess that's one of my questions. Yes. Do they do the progressives not believe that if you tank the BIF, the big bipartisan infrastructure deal, you just roll the Democratic priorities in that into the reconciliation bill and look at Mansion and Cinema and and their ilk and say. Look, we tried it your way. The Republicans wouldn't play ball. Now we've got to do the whole enchilada as a Democrat-only reconciliation process. Uh, no, I certainly I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, dare speak for them. But I I would say that is a crazy if they think that there is a yeah. chance in you know where that they can roll everything into a Democrats-only reconciliation bill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll see Manchin become a Republican before that yeah. happens. Well, yeah. and I think that's a not impossible that's a threat, result. Right? So, I, mean, big, uh, I have a nightmare about that about once a week. It's it's a very real thing. Um, but, I, I again, I do think the progressives will, will cause some problems. But ultimately, I don't want to say they'll get duped, but we've seen this, this story play out before where they'll pass it. Manchin will fight and it'll water down and then the House will have to kind of swallow it for a Democratic president. And I think it's going to get ugly, but we'll yes. have a bill. I think the BIF, we're calling it that, will we'll pass and then the reconciliation will either be a much watered down version or not pass at all. So you're, you as an establishment, as an establishment Democrat – are intending to uh, take the the progressives for granted, use their votes to pass the first package, knowing that the promised land will never be truly in sight. The promised well, land. I think yeah. I think there will be a two to three trillion yes. dollar promised land. I don't think there will. There's be not going to be a six trillion dollar promise. The promised land won't, won't look like Bernie Sanders' promise. It's not going to be. It's not no. going to be Bernie Sanders' no. land. But but there will be like a Next nice Mark Sanders, Warner two or three ahead, trillion yeah, dollar promised land. I think. Yeah. And and I think I think the progressives I, I think they I think even if they publicly have to say we, we don't know I think they have to go along with it. I also think I mean obviously as a Democrat looking in I have to say I I just don't know how Republicans say no to it. I I and there can't be tax hikes in there, but I think like you say hard infrastructure on the th- roads bridges. I mean the stuff that they want to be able to go home and say look we we came to do business and we know exact we know what the american people need and we wanted to fight for it and we're not happy about what they're doing now but we 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 came to get the work done finding a way to say no is a is a particular skill set of of sure. republicans particularly house republicans and uh, there will always be sure. something uh, and this stuff takes time i mean this is this is part of the biggest reason that i think the uh the political success of the recovery act the the obama era yep. stimulus uh, was so negligible. Uh, in fact, it was probably a net negative for Democrats going into the 2010 midterms is just people have a view of a depression era civilian conservation core, you know, let's get let's get these kids out there and build things and parks and it just takes forever. They mm-hmm. didn't have environmental regulations and unions yeah. and the ACLU in in the 1930s and so you know, can you imagine the tumult that would reco- that would result from a plan to relocate inner city youth to our nation's parklands and force them to to labor on behalf of the federal government? Mm-hmm. That's just not realistic. Right. It's not it's yeah. not the way the world works anymore. Anyway, that's that's a, it's a tangent, but I think one of the reasons that you see less benefit from improvements in physical infrastructure these days is it simply takes so much time. Yes. 
Well, yeah. it does. And there's we talked about this a little bit last week on the macrocast, but there's it's like you pass the big bill, and then there has to be the the folks in the administration, in the transportation department, and in the state transportation departments to like actually get it moving, and and, and setting aside even the uh, you know the the environmental regulations as you mentioned, and it, it you know there's of course the complicated nature of actually like doing the thing, but we're not worrying about that now. We're just Trying to sign a bill, right? Yeah. Well, that's a good – like is anyone, right? Because you do have the midterms. I do think you could be there next August 22 with a ribbon-cutting ceremony. Yeah, it might be one shovel in the ground. The bridge won't be done, but they'll get their photo up. They'll get their victory lap, Maybe. and that's what they're for. I, I also think one of the one of the real challenges here for the administration and, and Washington Democrats is the lack of a real deadline. Things, things in yeah. Washington tend to happen when there is an action-forcing event, a looming government shutdown, debt limit, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, reauthorization, you know, authorization lapsing. And a number of years ago, I was working in the Speaker's office, and we were having a um, discussion of a highway bill. Speaker Boehner and his allies had this idea to uh, eliminate the gas taxes to pay for or supplement the gas taxes to pay for with expanded domestic energy production. We, we jokingly called it drilling for highways. This is an idea that had – Unified Republican support on the funding side, no Democratic support. So we had to move a party-line transportation infrastructure bill, highway bill. and But we didn't have a deadline. And every single week there was a different regional dispute within our conference that prevented a vote. And I just feel like absent a real hard yeah. deadline, this can drift and drift. And, well, we didn't quite get it done by July 4th. Well, we didn't quite get it done by August. Uh, right. We're getting into, you know – it's September, and now we're headed into the holiday season. And well, that, first of next yes. year, he'll make a big push at the State of the Union. Yeah. That's when we'll get it done. It, it can slide into a place where you're too close to the midterms to, to get anything done. Well, and so that this slide, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think Congress gets anything done without a real deadline. I mean, it's just if, if there's one thing that they can push to work out later, they will, right? So I think that is actually part of the reason if progressives are smart, I think they make sure the BIF happens ASAP because they lose. I just think like the dollar figure ticks down every day. Yep. They don't move it. Well, and you've also got both a debt limit deadline and a government funding deadline yes. coming up. And yep. I, again, I'm not my job is not advising the Biden administration on legislative strategy, but I would certainly look to tie this effort to one or both of those mm-hmm. so that there's a real I think the first consequence. Sure. Yeah. Um, I I I'm on the record I think on the macrocast uh predicting the first package will move in September, maybe that's early October, but with the deadlines of the fiscal year and the fiscal cliff, etc. But I agree with you, budget reconciliation, I think, then drags on for months, and it becomes a bit of a campaign rallying cry. We tried to get this done. There was obstruction. It's the State of the Union speech. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's that's. I mean, that's what the Obama administration tried with the American Jobs Act uh, yeah. going into the – starting in 2011 after the, the uh, negotiations between Speaker Boehner and, the, and President Obama failed to reach a satisfactory conclusion. And they banged the gong on that thing for a, a 14 months solid, and I don't think it ever made much of a difference. Although they, that was what 11. They started. They started in September, October of 11, and talked about it clear through the reelect, 
which, you know, a movie force votes on it. It, it could not yeah. pass the Democrat, Democratic-controlled Senate, let alone the Republican-controlled House. It was, it was a joke as a legislative effort. Um, but they, they, they rode that horse from the autumn of 2011 through the reelect and then promptly forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. Steele, I'm curious. Um, we jumped over it quickly a few times, but there will be attempts to try to kill this on pay-fors. You saw a little bit this week with conservative groups going after additional funding for the IRS. Um, thoughts on whether that's real? What what else you predict I mean, might I think, be it? Look, I think that the this is I, I think the fixation on finding a tax hike or spending cut to pay for additional infrastructure spending is a weird obsession, and that we, we to the extent that we need to spend this money on physical infrastructure at a time when interest rates are so low, I, right. I think that deficit financing. And innovative funding schemes like leveraging the assets to raise funds, user fees, et cetera. I'm okay with the fact that almost all of the pay-fors are very gimmicky in the sense that I don't think they need pay-fors at all. That having been said, it's a really gimmicky list of pay-fors. And what you referenced in increasing funding to the IRS to close the, the so-called tax gap, the, the differential between the amount of money that the federal government has owned and owed and the amount of money it collects – you know, that has been the white whale for a lot of Democrats looking for revenue mm-hmm. without tax hikes. I remember Max Baucus was fixated on it sure. a decade ago, yep. more than that. Um, it's really hard to construct a system where you increase uh, tax compliance, you, you reduce the tax gap without giving rise to at least some examples of egregious conduct on behalf of the IRS. And after the after – the, um, partisan scandals surrounding IRS enforcement on Tea Party groups a decade ago. Republicans know this playbook and, and they're going to run it if, if you try to uh, if you try and increase IRS funding that way and it will be eagerly lapped up by Fox News and, and the rest of the, the right-wing media. Both of you, I'm curious your take. I, I kind of have that same thought, but to some degree that is the traditional Republican thought and I wonder if some of the more Trumpy populist part of the wing, your Josh Hawley's and others that do want to, that see headlines about billionaires barely paying taxes and do think that's red meat for their base as well to crack down on that. Will they get behind this? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a sane, logical, uh, plausible argument. I just, the downside for them is too great, frankly, because you're going to wind up with examples where the IRS overreaches, and yeah. they, they just are. And wealthy people in this country, and probably, oh, no, check that. Wealthy people around the world are very, very good at avoiding paying taxes. And that's, that's it's, yeah. it's very hard to change that by hiring additional bureaucrats at the IRS because the people who get hired by the IRS probably aren't going to be as good as the people advising wealthy people on how to avoid taxation. Though you said it right when you said white whale. I mean, like, there are so many moderate Democrats that, like, cannot ever let go of the tax gap. Yeah. It's like th- we can, we it's, can it's, it's fix the, to, the it's, world. It's, it's the way to lose weight without dieting, yes. right? It's cold fusion. It's yes. the way to increase yes. government revenue without raising yes. taxes. And yes. that, is, that is a fixation among, among moderate Democrats. Yeah. I agree that the foil of the of well, IRS overreach and Tea Party groups it, that is a good foil, but I I think that there is also a case to be made about underfunding of IRS for a long time, and if you want the folks to actually go and collect the taxes, you have to have people there to do it, 
And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that the argument for more IRS funding is dead, but it's, it's the problem. Is oh, you're in the depths of a coming out of a recession. The attacks of rich versus those yeah, who are left yeah. behind are always more heightened by the media. It's there is a bit of a ripe environment for it. I just think you're gonna you're gonna win the New York Times editorial board and not thirty second ads in in campaigns. Sure, fair. Um, Megan, I want to go back to something you were talking about. So on the reconciliation package, we we do have the Sanders kind of progressive wish list and Sanders leading this, but that is a tough committee with folks like Mark Warner, who are part of this bipartisan group. And, you know, Sanders has to convince them before he takes it to the rest of the Senate. So what do you, I don't want to force a prediction, but what, what do you think comes out of that process and what this reconciliation package looks like i just i don't see a mark warner supporting anything north of three trillion dollars coming out of committee and and i think that you know to our question about timing and i'm sure i think we covered this in the macrocast last week inflation is an issue right The, the cost of the cost of gas the cost of food things are increasing and it makes it very hard to it makes it harder and harder to to make the case for a large spending package if you're particularly a deficit financed one, uh, if you're seeing um, if you're seeing increases in, in inflation, you know the federal government has put a ton of money into the economy over the past two years. I'm not arguing yeah. that was necessarily and, a bad and idea. This would technically be the third time Congress does it this year. Right. If we're yeah. talking about the reconciliation package, which again goes back to my prediction, we get one and not the other. <laughs> And I, I just think calendar wise, you know, guessing how the economic indicators are going to come in is a fool's game. But if you're talking about making a big push for the reconciliation package early next year, which means that you're not realistically going to see action before March, one, you're getting awfully close to the midterm. Two, I just I think you're going to be looking at real fears and, and real concerns about inflation. So before we wrap up here, um, I want to get just kind of final crystal ball. What do you think the next few weeks looks like? Do we make a lot of progress? Does it die and come back to life post-August? What are, what are we looking at? Megan, why don't I start with you? Okay. I think it dies and comes back to life like three times before August. But then I don't know. I can see uh, just before the recess the infrastructure package going. I, I think, you know. Lucy, grab your football. We're going to have, you know, it's going to die three times before between now and August. We are going to have pizza boxes stacked outside yeah. of leadership suites in the Capitol. We are going to have all of the various uh, groups of senators and administration officials gathering and ungathering, like, like the stuff inside of a lava lamp. And then at the end of that process, they will choose to punt until after the August recess, after which time they will probably choose to punt yet again. Yeah. I'm, I'm with I'm with you both a little bit, I guess. I think <laughs> I think we die and come back to life many times. It's gonna times. be crazy. Like our necks are gonna be sore from like which yes. way we're looking. Um, I'm confident Schumer gets his part done before August, and Pelosi has a lot of work on her hands through August and September, which may mean it has to go back through the Senate again. Do you mean his work on the on the reconciliation bill? No, I mean the the bipartisan. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I think Schumer gets biffed through reconciliation. Maybe gets through committee, and it sort of hangs out there. And then we get one pass. The first one passed, probably October. Mm, okay. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? 
buckle up. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is good, clean fun. And, it's going to be know, fun. It's. I think there's a. I think there is a very decent chance that um, the COVID re- that initial COVID relief bill is going to be the the sole substantive demo- uh, domestic achievement of the Biden administration, and that Republicans will take back the House in the midterm, and it's going to be interesting from there. But there's also a possibility that. Um, that Megan's sunny optimism is, is the right <laughs> choice, and uh, we're going to be spending trillions and trillions of dollars over the next six months. Maybe. Hopefully there's something there for like, me. Yeah, feels like a throwback to our time on the Hill where it will definitely be exciting and busy between now and the end of the year. Yeah, but, I'm just glad so, to watch yeah. it and not have to be on that side of it, honestly. It's a lot easier. A lot easier. <laughs> we just buy uh, the drinks. Well, thank you both. Um I appreciate you guys doing a, a quick edition here of HPS Insights, and we will certainly be back on Insights, and I'm sure the macrocast talking about infrastructure and reconciliation and all the other fun we have ahead of us in the rest of 2021. But thank you, Michael Steele, Megan Pennington, for joining us today. Thank you to all our listeners, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.